Hi folks, James Urbaniak here. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but I've actually been doing this podcast thing for a number of years now. Quite a few years, actually. I've actually been doing it since I was a teenager. Of course, back in the day, we didn't call it a podcast. We called it talking into a tape recorder. But yes, I've been doing this, recording my little thoughts and observations and what have you, since I was a teenager. My first tape recorder was from Radio Shack, one of the ones that only had one button. I don't know if you remember those. The button was like a little box, or a, a frustum, really, is what it was. And you moved it back and forth to make the tape play, or fast forward, or reverse, or, well, you get the idea. Mine had a little leather harness that came with it, so you could record things on the go. I once recorded it up with People Concert at my local high school gymnasium in 1972, before I hit on the idea of maintaining a recorded journal. I wish I still had that tape. Glenn Close was in that group. A lot of people don't know that. Anyway, what I thought I'd do tonight is reach back into the past. And I literally have to reach back to do that because the boxes of tapes are behind me and play you some of my earlier recordings. In fact, I think I'll start with my very first tape, one I made when I was 16, a mere whip of a child. I think I weighed about 30 pounds, more of those bug-eyed glasses that were so popular in the 1970s. I looked like a praying mantis. Let's see. <clears throat> Box three, cassette five. Box three, cassette five. Cassette. Cassette. I wonder where that word comes from. Ah, here we are. Let's see what we got here. Yada da dee. You know, I really did like Mr. Rourke. He was a great teacher, good guy. We used to talk about the Rolling Stones. He was, well, Jesus, he must have been in his 30s, maybe 30. I'm older now than he was then. Jesus, how did that happen? Um, and I really thought I had that part in the bag. It wasn't a big part. There's not much I could have done to screw up the show. To this day, I don't know why he didn't cast me. Well, actually, I do know why. He cast Todd Halloran, who was the football team's quarterback. Yeah, if you can imagine that. Popular choice. All political. Todd Halloran. 
Jesus, totally miscast. I told Mr. Rourke, too, totally miscast. I went to see the show. Terrible performance, wooden, stiff, football player. I wonder what Todd Halloran is doing now. Probably works as a mechanic. Maybe an accountant. I know a guy who was captain of the wrestling team in the school of valedictorian and had the best-looking girl on school. That guy's now an accountant for a company that makes gaskets. That's a real thing. A gasket. He told me he was an accountant for a company that makes gaskets. I had to ask him, is that a real thing? A gasket? I always thought a gasket was like a gizmo or a what's-it. But no, yeah, it's a real thing. A gasket, for the curious is like a ring that goes in between sections of pipe, like an O-ring, so the pipes don't burst under pressure, as in to blow a gasket. (laughs) One thing I do know about Todd Halloran, he's not playing Dr. Venture on Adult Swim's The Venture Brothers. He doesn't have a plastic action figure of himself. He never won an OB. He never supported his family by doing the voice of a ragweed plant for an allergy medicine commercial. Anyway, moving on. Let's see if we can find one from the Golden Age. Let's see. Ah, here we are. This is good. I made this in Cannes. That's Cannes, the city in the south of France, when I was there for the film festival they have there. This will be good. Well, here we are in Cannes. Well, not in Cannes exactly. We couldn't get a room in Cannes, obviously. We're in a suburb of Cannes. Uh, We're about 70 minutes outside of Cannes. What's the name of the town we're in? Julie. Julie? What's the name of the town we're in? Well, anyway, the hotel's really nice for what it is. Obviously, it's not the Carlton, but the point is we had the big premiere tonight, Henry Fool, Walk the Red Carpet, the whole deal, accidentally brushed up against Juliette Binoche. <laughs> the movie did great, a standing ovation. Jill and I were there up in uh, one of the boxes. They showed a spotlight on us. That was thrilling. I can't wait to see what the movie does in the States. The reception here was just incredible. I've never walked a red carpet before. That was certainly an experience. Oh, uh, (laughs) the room service guy's here with the champagne. I gotta go. More later. Excitement! Yeah, that was a great night. Me and Julie and Hal Hartley. The rest of the cast. Tom Ryan. Parker Posey. All dressed up. There was a party somewhere at one of the hotels after the screening, but I couldn't go for some reason. Great night. Great night. And I thought the movie was going to do a lot better in the States, honestly. That, That was when an indie movie could still get a foothold at the box office. I wasn't expecting Sex Lies kind of money, but I figured it would do better than it did. And we got a sequel made, at least. That, that was something. 
And I know this sounds stupid because I'm not into any of that awards nonsense, but I was a little disappointed by the Oscar nominations that year. And the Independent Spirit nominations, for that matter. Or anybody's nominations. I don't know how they all overlooked it. It's a great movie. Great movie. Oh, well, the woman I thought was Juliette Binoche turned out to be a German magazine editor. My mistake. I went to the red carpet without my glasses to look younger. But that was a great night. Great night. Anything seemed possible. Fifteen years ago. Okay, moving on. It's a crazy business, this business we call show, like no other business I know. Oh. <laughs> and my assistant here has just informed me that cassette is derived from the French word casse, or as we say in English, case. Tiny case. Okay, let's catch up at the times here. When I got my iMac back in 04, I started recording digitally. Let's call that up here. Let's see what we got. Here, let's just pick one at random. Here we go. I don't like to read my reviews. It's a little... It's a little... I don't like to do it. But here's one that's a doozy. Charles Isherwood, The New York Times. Ah, yes. I know what this one is. February 20th, 2005. The New York Times review for a play I did off-Broadway... Will Eno's Tom Paine, Based on Nothing. That's the name of the show. I remember this. Run, don't walk. It actually says that. Run, don't walk. Four stars plus an extra. If you care about theater, blah, blah, blah. That's actually in there, too. It says that. Mr. Eno is a Samuel Beckett for the John Stewart generation. It really says that, too. I... Yeah, that was a great review. Great show. That review put us on the map. Show ran forever. Huge hit. One-man show. Hit of the season. Now, I always wanted to be a theater actor. I wasn't that interested in TV or film. I always thought I was better suited to the stage. You get to create a whole character. You get to do the whole thing. The performances and broke it up into all these little bits and pieces... And Tom Paine was a great example. This whole guy, this whole complex character, stripped bare for the audience with a great text, real imagination, genuine uniqueness, a real great tour de force for me. And I thought, great, now I'm set. I've got a hit play off-Broadway, a real hit. Not a well-my-friends-will-come-see-it hit, but an actual hit. I met Paul Newman. That's how big a hit it was. Everyone came to see it. Everyone. Actually, I didn't meet Paul Newman. I didn't meet him because you know why? Because I was too busy talking to another famous actor. I can't even remember who now. And Paul Newman got tired of waiting for me, not to mention his wife, the lovely Miss Joanne Woodward. That's how great that show was for me. I got too busy to meet Mr. and Mrs. Paul Newman. <laughs> and I thought, great, the offers will come pouring in. I'll never have to audition again. Now I can make my living for the rest of my life as a New York stage actor. And, um, well, that didn't happen. Again, I don't know why. 
Was the play too weird? I don't know why that would matter. Why would that matter? Did people think I was the character? Did people think I was that guy, like some kind of documentary or something? Did I do my job too well? Was I too convincing? I just, I don't... Anyway, not the end of the world. If theater doesn't want me, fine. There's no money in it anyway. It's not like it's a growth industry, exactly. I'm a character actor. Character actors have longer lives than leads. It's just a fact. I have no regrets. Okay. I think we have time for one more. Let's see. One more. November 18th, 2005. I'm going in tomorrow for the role of Dwight Schrute on the U.S. version of The Office. Yes, well, they went with Rain Wilson for that, obviously. And he was very nice about it. He's a personal friend. He said he was rooting for me the whole time. What I didn't know at the time of the audition was that the show was actually going to be set in Pennsylvania. That wasn't my agent to make that clear to me. It wasn't on the sides or anything. I went in and did an impression of Mackenzie Crook from the British show, which it turned out was not what they wanted. I mean, I could have played that part. It's not like Rain Wilson is some kind of monopoly over geek parts. I mean, he's great, but come on, I could have played Dwight Trout. There's no reason why I couldn't have been Dwight Trout. I mean, let's get real. The fact is, I should be Dwight Trout. I worked for it. I did all the work. I earned it. I'm the indie stalwart. I'm the one who did the Woody Allen movie. I'm the one who's played the red herring on every goddamn network procedural on TV, sometimes twice. Rain Wilson has a three-story mansion in Santa Barbara. I've got a crappy little bungalow in Eagle Rock. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. Life happened. I don't know what happened. The fact is, I should have played a Bond villain by now. I auditioned for the part of Chigor in No Country for Old Men. The Coens didn't cast me. They cast Javier Bardem. He got the Oscar. He's playing a Bond villain. That should be me. That should be me. I should be playing Felix Unger on Broadway. I should have my own show by now. I should be walking out on stage and getting the big round of applause. I can be a wacky neighbor. That's completely within my skill set. I can play creepy. I can play geeky. I can play awkward. I played Robert Crumb in American Splendor. That's all three of those qualities right there. Paul Giamatti got a career out of that movie. What the hell? I mean, what the hell? <coughs> uh, 
and I see by the old clock on the wall that my time is just about up. So, um, that's that. And I still have plenty going on. I live out here in L.A. I like it out here. I've got a live show I do out here. A good bunch of people. Not my show. I mean, it's someone else's. I just, they let me take part every now and then. I got that part on Homeland. People tuned into that. Got to work with Mandy Patinkin. He was great. I had to keep reminding him it's Urbaniac, not Urbaniac, but he caught on after a few days. So good. That's all good. I'm James Urbaniac. And this is Getting On with James Urbaniac. Getting On with James Urbaniak, Episode 5, Urbaniak's Last Cast, was written by Todd Alcott and produced and performed by James Urbaniak. The voice of teenage James was Griffin Newman.